Okay, good afternoon. So today I want to talk about, this is the third class of the Splendor of Shabbos, and I want to discuss a little bit about the melachos of Shabbos. The melachos are the, um, we might translate as work or creative acts that are the prohibiting acts on Shabbos. What are we not allowed to do? And, uh, and again, we're not here to discuss the specifics and the halacha, the Jewish law, but rather to kind of give a, a conceptual understanding to why these things are, are forbidden. Um, and hopefully a deeper understanding will enhance our observance and participation in, uh, in our Shabbos experience. So, uh, so after Moshe um, comes down from Mount Sinai, after uh, bringing back the second set of luchos, the second set of tablets, so the beginning of Parshas Vayakel, Moshe gathers the Jewish people and uh, around him, and it says over there, if you look on the source sheet, source number one, this is Shemos, Exodus chapter 35, Vayakel Moshe, Moshe gathered all of the community of Israel, and he said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to make or to do. Um, and then he says, Six days work may be done, for on the seventh day you shall have sanctity, a day of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever performs work there on this day shall be put to death. And then he says, Don't light a fire. And then he goes back to talking about building the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and gives the Jewish people the commands uh, for to build the Mishkan. So uh, this is Parshas Bayakal. Previous to this, Moshe has received all the commands from God. There were two Parshas basically about that, Truma and Tetzave. And, uh, and, and then in Bayakal is when he now gathers the people and tells them about building the Mishkan. But before he tells them about building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle, that the portable temple that they had in the desert, before he tells them about building it, he tells them about Shabbos. Um, it's also interesting, the way that he, that if you read the verses carefully, it says that he said to them, these are the things that the Lord commanded you to make or to do, to do them. And then he says, work for six days, and uh, but on on the seventh day, it's it's a day of holiness, a Shabbos, and one should not work on that day. And then he goes back to telling them how to build the Mishkan. So, so what's going on here? We're talking about building the Mishkan, the tabernacle. We're talking about Shabbos. So the Midrash tells us that uh, it's the second source. Rashi actually quotes this Midrash over there. The Midrash tells us that. Uh, that what's the intent over here? So on the one hand, we have a command earlier in the Torah, in Parshas Truma, to build the Mishkan, um, to build a temple, to build a tabernacle. So you might think that that command to build the, to build the Mishkan is, is carrying out seven days a week, including on Shabbos. So says the Midrash, I might think both on weekday and on the Sabbath, and how would I understand those who profane and shall be put to death when it says that you can't work on Shabbos, how would I understand that? I would think it's referring to other labors, other work, other than building the sanctuary, other than building the Mishkan. 
or does it mean even building the Mishkan, that one is not allowed to build the Mishkan on Shabbos? So, um, so he says, it says the Midrash, it is therefore written in Moshe assembled to teach me on the weekday and not on the Sabbath. It's a little bit unclear how it's teaching me that. So, and there's different approaches to explain what exactly the Midrash is, is working off of. It could be that it's simply because right before it says to build the Mishkan, he tells them about Shabbos. So clearly he's saying, you know, first you need to know about Shabbos. Then you'll know, then I'm going to tell you to build the Mishkan, but it's not, it won't apply on Shabbos. That's one way to explain it. Alternatively, some understand, this is how the Malbim says it, um, that in the first verse, he tells them, these are the things that we're commanding you to make. Well, and then he talks about not working. So what does he mean? You, to, to make, to, to do. And then he says, don't do work. So what he's actually talking about is already from the first verse, he's talking about building the Mishkan. These are the things that God is commanding you to make, meaning I'm going to tell you about building the Mishkan. But in the context of telling you to build the Mishkan, I tell you for six days, you should work. For six days, you should build the Mishkan. But on the seventh day, you should not build the Mishkan. It's actually within, it's not that the, the instructions to build the Mishkan are simply preceded by the command of Shabbos. The command of Shabbos, according to this, is actually inserted in the middle of the instructions to build the Mishkan. Moshe instructs the people, these are, this is how you're, what you're going to do. This is what you're going to make. You're going to make this Mishkan. For six days, you're going to make it. But on the seventh day, you're going to rest and you're not going to create the Mishkan. And so we, uh, now we're there parts of building the Mishkan that they could have done on Shabbos? It seems not, right? Don't, don't build the Mishkan on Shabbos. So, so all the parts, all the, all the important acts of work, of creation, of creative acts that were involved in building the Mishkan, he was, he's now telling them, don't do those acts on Shabbos. And this creates the framework for us for what it is that we're not allowed to do on Shabbos. Because the Torah doesn't tell us. It just says, it maybe gives one or two examples. Don't light a fire. It says explicitly, it says don't plow. Um, but it doesn't give a very detailed uh, explanation. It says work. Or don't do melacha. So what is melacha? What is that? So here we we have, the Torah reveals for us, um, and this is our tradition, that it's the, it's the creative acts that were involved in building the Mishkan that we are supposed to refrain from on Shabbos. So, uh, so in the Mishkan, they created dyes, D-Y-E-S, for, uh, for, to dye the various uh, curtains and, and, and things. So that involved a process to create dyes. You need plants you need to make plants. You need to, to sow. You need to plow. You need to harvest gather, thresh, there's a whole process in creating plants. So all those go into the list of things that were involved in creating the Mishkan. And those become, are the list of things that we're to refrain from on Shabbos. In the Mishkan, they had to um, process um, wool and, uh, or, uh, or, you know, different materials. So, uh, so shearing and washing and combing and, and spinning and all these things become Forbidding on, on Shabbos. In the Mishkan, they used skins. So they had to trap the animals, right? They used skins to cover as covers and things. They had to trap the animals. Um, they had to slaughter them. They had to tan them. So all that goes into the list of um, prohibitions. 
um, they, they, they were writing, they had to write things, they had to erase things, write more, they, had to, they were building, they would sometimes make a mistake, they would demolish it in order to build building again, they would ignite fires, they would extinguish fires, all of these things were involved in the creation of the tabernacle, of the Mishkan, and so that becomes the list, and in our tradition, there are 39 categories of prohibiting acts on Shabbos, of milachos, and uh, and then there's subcategories that uh, that come from those. And by Torah law, all of those categories are constructive acts. Um, the rabbis tacked on many other additional prohibitions to create a fence, to 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 keep us at a distance from not violating any of the Torah prohibitions. But the Torah prohibitions are all creative acts. So even the destructive acts are specifically if it's destructive in order to become constructive. So destroying something on Shabbos by Torah law is completely permitted as long as it's not in order to uh, in order to create something else. There are certain and and often it's also actually rabbinically permitted even, but there are certain situations where the rabbis came and said, uh, you know, don't do this because you might come to violate the De'oraisa, the Torah prohibition. Okay, so that's what where we get our framework for what is forbidden on Shabbos, what's forbidden. And when we say don't work on Shabbos, we don't mean work. There are things that, uh, that it's not saying don't, uh, don't um, strain yourself. There are very strenuous activities that are technically permitted on Shabbos, not necessarily recommended, but, uh, but technically permitted and certainly on a Torah level and, uh, and on, you know, by biblical law. And, uh, but the, the, it's, not, it's not so much work. It's these creative acts that were involved in creating the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. That's what we're not allowed to do on Shabbos. And our question is why? Why specific, you know, why are these the things that we can't do on Shabbos? What does, ultimately the question is, what does Shabbos have to do with the Mishkan? Why would, what's the connection here? Why would we derive the Shabbos prohibitions from the building of the tabernacle, they don't seem to be related in any way. There was, of course, this beautiful tabernacle, this beautiful mishkan that we built in the desert. And then we built a more permanent uh, permanent temple in Israel, the Beis HaMikdash. But what's the connection here to Shabbos? So... So the truth is that one of the main ideas about Shabbos, as expressed in the Ten Commandments when it talks about Shabbos, um, is to remember the creation of the world, right? So in the Ten Commandments, we say, remember the Shabbos, work for seven days, the seventh day should be a Shabbos. And why? It says because in six days, Hashem created, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested, and therefore he sanctified the Shabbos. So it says the reason why we should uh, we should sanctify the Shabbos and, and refrain from malacha, from these constructive activities, is because God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's interesting because it's not so clear what it is that we're trying to, to remember here. Are we trying to remember that God created the world? That would seem to be the most important thing. Remember that God created the world. God is the master of the universe. Um, 
And we remember that by observing Shabbos. Well, if we want to remember that God created the world, maybe we should have a day of creation, a day where we build, a day where we try to do all 39 milachos, uh, you know, try, try to build and, and create as much as we can. Then we'll remember that God, just as I'm creating today, God created the world. But that's not what we do. We, uh, we rest because God rested from creating the world. So are we trying to remember that God rested or are we trying to remember that God created the world? So, uh, so which one is it? Or maybe it's both. So that's something that we'll have to keep in mind. Um, but, uh, but we're trying, but we're definitely remembering the time of creation, remembering God created the world, God rested. And, uh, and that actually is very much connected to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle. We find throughout the writings of our sages in the Midrash and the Gemara, very clear and explicit connections between the Mishkan and or the creation of the Mishkan and the creation of the world. If you have the source sheet, so the third source on the first page is a Midrash Tanhuma. I didn't uh, include the entire Midrash here. It's pretty lengthy, but it will give us a sense of what's going on here. Um, the Midrash says, Rabbi Jacob, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of Asi said, why does it say, it quotes a verse in Tehillim and Psalms, I love the habitation of thy house and the place where your glory dwells. What, what's that verse? Because the tabernacle is equal to the creation of the world itself. The Mishkan is equal, says the Midrash, to, or the creation of the tabernacle is just like the creation of the world. How is that so? so the Midrash goes through step by step different parts of the creation of the world and shows how we have a similar idea in the creation of the Mishkan. So it says, concerning the first day it's written, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and it is written elsewhere in Tehillim, in Psalms, who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. So it describes in Tehillim the creation of the heavens as stretching out like a curtain. And concerning the tabernacle, it's written, and thou shalt make curtains of goats here. So we have curtains covering the Mishkan. Like God stretched out the heavens like a curtain. Um, about the second day of creation, it states, let there be a rakia, a firmament, and divide between them, and let it divide the waters from the waters. That God created water, heavenly waters, low waters, and God divided them. And about the Mishkan, it's written, and the veil shall divide between you. So, sorry, I skipped. No, I didn't. Uh, it, and the veil shall divide. So there's 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 a division of different sections also in the Mishkan. We find the same type of wording. With regard to the third day, it states, that the waters under the heavens be gathered. We have a gathering of water. With reference to the tabernacle, it's written, thou shalt also make a kior, a laver, a brass, and thou shalt gather water, put water therein. So we we gather water into a kior, into a, uh, a basin in the Mishkan, on the fourth day, he created light. As is stated, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. And concerning the tabernacle, he said, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, a menorah. There was a menorah in the Mishkan. And uh, that that corresponds to the to the light that God created. Or the, um, not the, not light, it shouldn't, not the greatest translation. He created the oros, the luminaries, the sun and the, the stars really means. We, put a, we make a menorah that corresponds to that. And so on and so on. You know, we could examine each one carefully and try to understand deeper 
what it means. Some of them seem like, you know, they have the same word maybe, but maybe they seem like a stretch, but usually in these types of things, the more, if you would delve further into it, then uh, there's, there's a deeper understanding, but that's not our goal right now. Our goal is just to bring this point out that the Mishkan is actually a mini world. It's a, it's, it's modeled the creation of the Mishkan of the tabernacle is modeled in some way after the creation of the world. Um, the Talmud, the Gemara Sat tells us top of the next page on the sources. It says that Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rav, that Bitzalel, Bitzalel was the architect of the Mishkan. He was in charge of the building of the Mishkan. He knew how to, in the Hebrew, he knew how to um, join together the letters with which heaven and earth were created. We have a tradition that, well, we know if you read the verses in, in, in Genesis and Bereshus, God creates the world with uh, speech, with the Lashon HaKodesh, the, with the, the words of, uh, of the holy tongue. Right. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, etc. So there's a process of taking letters together, putting letters together to create. It's a deep, deep wisdom. Bitzalel, who was the architect of the Mishkan, understood this wisdom, the Gemara says. And the Gemara, the Talmud derives it from verses. But what we again see is, is, is the architect of the Mishkan needed to possess a deep, deep understanding of, of, of creation in order to be able to create the Mishkan. Because the Mishkan was, in a certain sense, a, uh, a model of the world. And even more so, the creation of the Mishkan was a, a uh, mirror, mirror, mirrored the process of creating the world. And so the, the acts all the creative acts that went into building the Mishkan in some way are mirroring the, or reflecting the, the acts, so to speak. God didn't have to act to create the world, but, 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 but the, uh, the, the results and, uh, and the acts that would have gone into the creation of a world. So, so based on this, the Be'er Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Salat, who was a uh, a rabbi in Jerusalem in the fifth uh, in the nineteen fifties or so, um, so he suggests that we can now understand the connection between the Mishkan and and Shabbos, because on Shabbos we are testifying and remembering, as it says. We are remembering that God created the world in six days and resting on the seventh day. And uh, and the Mishkan is really a reenactment of that creation. It's uh it's it's we if we want to really model the the act of God of, of creating and then uh, and then resting. Or for us, you know, if we if we're to, to rest from the act of creation just as God did, so what is it that we need to, to rest from? What should we rest from? So it's not clear. We don't know what goes into creating a world that we would need to rest from. So, uh, so here, so we need to to look at the Mishkan. We look at the building of the of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle, and that's where we can see 
what goes into creating the world. What goes into creating the world, apparently, are these 39 constructive acts that went into building the Mishkan in order to rest from a creation of the world, we rest from the creation of the Mishkan. And, uh, and that is, a, the, he says, the best testimony, that's the best way to testify to God's creating, creating the world and resting from it. The way we do that is through, uh, through um, cr- creating six days, creating a Mishkan, doing acts, doing the acts that uh, were involved in creating the Mishkan, which is a model of the world. But if we want to rest from creation of the world, we have to rest from the acts that were involved in the creation of the world, which are the acts that were involved in the creation of the Mishkan. That is, says Rabbi Yosef Salant, the connection between the 39 Malachos, the 39 prohibited creative acts of Shabbos, and the and Shabbos itself. Um, so fine. So that's 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 what Rabbi Yosef Salam says. Now, now he's not the first to uh, to to connect to make this connection um, of you know that that the Mishkan is kind of a mini mini world, and that's the how we connect it to Shabbos. He's also not the last. So uh, so more recently, Rabbi Rabbi David Foreman um, also um, develops this idea, and uh, and really. We, with with what we've said so far, we're still left with the question of if well, what are we trying to remember with Shabbos, with resting on Shabbos? Are we trying to remember that God created the world, or that God rested from creating the world? Um, again, the, the, it it would seem if we're trying to remember, if we're just testifying, if the point is to testify and 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 have a weekly reminder that uh, that God created the world. Then, like I said, seemingly it should suffice to uh, to have a day of of creating, of doing all the acts that went in, that were involved in creating the world. So, why is it that uh, that no, we instead we have a day where we refrain from those acts and we rest from those acts? So I want to share with you um, Rabbi Foreman's thoughts on this and uh, gets a little bit deeper. Um, and I, I've I've shared them before, so those who uh, those who've learned with me for a long time may sound familiar, hopefully. Um, but it's uh, it's a very profound idea, and uh, and really really takes this idea to the next level, this whole connection. So uh, so in the first place, like when we say that that God rested, right? So. God didn't need to rest, right? He's God. It's not like he tired himself out from uh, building the, uh, from creating the world, and now he needed a breather. So, uh, so there must be um, a reason for this for this day of rest that 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 God takes. Um, so, Rabbi Foreman develops this idea as follows. So if we were to ask, what was significant about creating the world? What was the significance of God creating the world? So we might say, well, what are you talking about? Before, uh, before the creation of the world, of the universe, there was nothing, and now there's a universe. How You don't get more significant than that, right? 
So uh, that's like a, tre- a tremendous, uh, a tremendous, of tremendous significance, of tremendous change. Um, that's about as uh, as dramatic a change in, in existence as as you can imagine. It goes from nothing, nothing to something, from 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 nothing to from I into Yesh, from nothingness to to somethingness. So it doesn't get more uh, more dramatic than that. But in truth, says Rabbi Foreman, that's really only from our perspective. Um, but from God's perspective, it's not really the case. Um, if you were asked from God's point of view, what was the significance of uh, creating the world? So you can't say, well, before there was nothing and uh, and afterwards there was something because uh, because before creation, there was God. There was everything. And God was doing just fine. Um, and, and really, by creating existence, there wasn't more now in terms of God. It's not like there was, there was more existence now. And if anything, it was a diminishment. Um, the Kabbalists the, the talk about an idea of tzimtzum. Simso means contraction, right? So, and and what that means is just on, on one leg, you know, what that means is that before God creates the universe, there's just one existence. The truth is, even after God creates the universe, there's just one absolute existence. God allows within his uh within 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 his existence. He, he kind of makes a little space for, for another, for something else to exist. He contracts himself, allowing for something else to exist. The way Nefesh HaChaim explains Tzimtzum, Rav Chaim of Olashinger, is it's that God allows for another existence where he's hidden, where we can't, we can't see him. Um, you know, how is that possible that, we, that, that God can, hide, can be hidden from us? But he is, right? We don't always see him. So, uh, so, so in a certain sense, you have, there's, only, there's only God before the creation of the universe and uh and god allows contracts himself in some way again it's a very deep idea but but contracts himself in some way to make space for something else to exist and the question is why why would why would god do this so uh again we don't know we don't understand um we don't understand the the ways of uh of god and uh, and when we give a reason, we're not really giving the reason from God's perspective. We're really giving because we can't understand that. Um, but we're giving a reason as as it relates to us, meaning as 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 God relates to our world, we have a reason. We don't have a reason in the most absolute sense. But uh, but the idea is that. Uh, that God wanted to bestow kindness, bestow goodness on, on others. And, uh, and in order to do so, well, he had to create that other, he had to create those, those beings and, and those beings would possess free will. And that way those beings could have the free will to connect themselves to God. And, uh, but, but that being needed a, a a place needed a world to exist in um it needed an environment in order to exist right if 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 god had just created souls or people or whatever right but without giving us this 
this environment of 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 a universe so that so then there would be no free will like the, if if the if the person or the soul was just with god then the the truth is abs is, is is so clear and and absolute um there's no free will in order to have free will the and and free will is important because in order for the the person to well you know this creation which is mankind in order for that for mankind to get the ultimate reward from god which is what god wants to give god wants to give <clears throat> the ultimate pleasure in his, in his ultimate goodness and kindness he wants to give the ultimate pleasure the ultimate pleasure has to be earned it's not as much of a pleasure if it's not earned so in order to earn it in order to earn that connection that ultimate pleasure of connecting to god one there has to be free will in order to have free will it, we god can't just put us in his place we have to have our own environment where we could be tested and so and so god creates with from within himself this this place this this universe where we could be tested and where he's hidden and uh in a certain sense that's the most miraculous part of creation is that god is mitzanting god hides himself and contracts himself in that we can't see him now this process of creating a universe for mankind to to grow and develop in is similar to um to a womb a uh <clears throat> a womb on a for a mother is the only place is the only organ the only place in the human body that's not for themselves um every organ is there to nourish the life of that person um, except for the womb the womb is there to create and uh, and 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 to be an environment where another being can be nourished and developed and uh and so and and this 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 world this universe within god so to speak is is similar to that idea um it's created the the entire universe of space and time and and everything is not there because god needs it god does not live within those boundaries it's there for for us to to develop and then god creates this this human and he creates mankind in the image of god as we know and what do we mean that we're in the image of god so again we've there's different ways to understand that Ray foreman says what it means is that he creates us in a way that we can do something similar to god we can also create an environment for for um for we can create people but but more than that we also can create the same kind of environment just as god can create an environment for us we can create an environment for god um so so god brings the world into existence this this perfectly calibrated universe for us to for us to have a place to to develop and uh and that process is called we refer to as as melacha. It's uh, it's God decides something to to make and then acts on it and creates it. And we also can involve ourselves in a similar form of 
creation. We can we can create things. We can we not create from from nothingness, but we can take what's what's given to us and create. But uh, but more than that, we can reflect exactly what God did does for us and and do the same for God. God carves out from within his his world, so to speak, a place for mankind. And then he gives us the power. And this is maybe the aspect of Salam al-Kim, the image of God. He gives us the power to create a place where God can dwell. And that is the Mishkan. That is the tabernacle. He empowers us to create a place for him. And uh, and so much of the Torah focuses on that. And so just like when God creates the universe, he says, you know, I'm going to give you out of my great space, you know, my existence. I'm going to to create a place for you. So, so too, we can do the same thing. We can take a, a, a place in our universe and, and make it a place for, for God to dwell. Now, just like when God creates an environment for us, it's there, there are certain laws for how it's for us to survive, for us to exist. You know, there has to be oxygen and, and there are laws of physics and gravity and, and all types of things that allow for us to exist within our, our, our earth, within the universe. So, so too, in order for God to be, to dwell in the place that we create for him, there are laws. There's laws of purity and impurity. Um, there's, there were specific, was the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle and the temple had to be built in, in specific ways and there, and, and had to be maintained in specific ways. So those are, so to speak, like the, almost like the laws of physics of, uh, and to, to, for, for God to be able to dwell in that place. Um, and we observe them, we keep them in order to allow for God to dwell within that place. Like we said, the Mishkan is a mini world. The Mishkan was modeled after the universe. And so God creates a, a world for us. For us to dwell in, and we create a world in a similar way for God to dwell in. So now it fits beautifully, right? Because because here we have that that for six days God creates the world. On the seventh day He rests. So when He tells us that you too should do the same thing, you too should make just as I make a dwelling place for for you, you are to make a dwelling place for me. Six days, if we go back to the verses we started with, Moshe gathers the people and he says, this is how you're going to build the Mishkan. This is how you're going to build the tabernacle. For six days, you're going to build, you're going to create, you're going to go through the process of creating the world, creating a mini world, a reflection of the world that God created for us. The difference is that this world that you're going to create is going to be a place for God. It's going to be a dwelling place for the Shina, for God's presence to come down. And in that way, we're really, we're, we're, we're in the image of God. He empowers us to do just as, as he did. And so come the seventh day, come the seventh day, um, just as God rests from creating the world on the seventh day, so too, he instructs us to rest from creating that Mishkan on the seventh day. I'll pause just a second, take a question. Is it, just don't forget to unmute. Yeah, it's Linda Zerndorfer. So my question is, is this a way, the way Hashem sort of 
gets his space back, got his, his space because he gave us his space. He said like he sort of, I don't know, I can't remember the word you used, but he sort of like shrunk a little to give us space. But the purpose of this space is to serve him. And then that way we're giving it back to him. Is, is that the way of thinking about it? I think it's a fair way to think about it. Um, I think it's a fair, we're making, we're really making a space in our, in our world for him. So I don't know if it's like giving so much like he needs his he, space back. Like I don't he know if I gave would, us that space. He gave us right, that space. Right. I, but I mean, I don't, I wouldn't focus so much on like giving it back to him yeah, as much okay. as making a space within our world for him. Okay. Thank you. So, so this, I think, really deepens the, the idea the, uh, and the connection here between the Mishkan and Shabbos and the creation of the world. The Mishka, creating the Mishkan is it's not just that it models the, you know, the world. It's a mini world. It's much, it, it cuts much deeper than that. The, the creation of the Mishkan is, a re is, is us doing what God did when he created the world. We're creating a space just as God created a space for us to, to, to dwell and, and to develop. So we're not going to create a space for God to develop, but we're going to create a, a space for God to dwell. Now, God doesn't need us to do that. Ultimately, we're going to be doing it for us as part of our, our development. But it's, it's, it's a reflection of what God does. And the resting on the seventh day is still a resting from that type of process. But fine. I th the problem is, I think we still haven't fully answered the the question of again, if we're trying to remember that God created the world. So again, why don't we just create on the Shabbos? Why are we resting on the Shabbos? Why don't we build a Mishkan every Shabbos? That way, we'll remember that God created the world. Why is it so important to remember that God rested? So, uh, so there's different ways I think to to bring out the idea I'm about to bring out. I think we're this we're going to be building on this whole idea of creating a dwelling place for God and connecting it to Shabbos. We're hopefully going to build on it in the next for sure next year and next class and maybe the one after. Um, but uh, the way that I've explained it in the past is based on a old Hasidish. Uh, tale um true story not a true story i don't know i've heard it now said be from different rabbis uh in the name of different rabbis um rabbi rabbi, rabbi dr avram Tversky quotes it in one of his books and the way he quotes it is in the name of the rabbi of Pachich, or i don't even know how to say it but uh, so the rabbi once declared he said where is that ultimate child now, everybody looked at him like, what are you talking about? And he said, where's that ultimate child? So he said that uh, he was once confronted by a, a person, a man, who was very immersed in, in his business ventures. And, uh, and, or sorry, he confronted this person, this man, and he said to him, why are you so absorbed in trying to make money? So, you know, you should devote more time to, to your relationship with God. So it's Torah study to prayer, etc. 
So the man responded, well, Rabbi, you know, I don't really need so much. It's true, but I have to provide for my children and their future. Now, the according to the story, that, that the child then grew up and the child was doing the same thing, was also absorbed in, in very absorbed in earning a, his a living much more than he needed. And, and again, the rabbi confronted him and said, well, why don't you put aside some time to, to, to build your connection with God, to study Torah, to, to pray? He said, well, the truth is I don't need so much, but my, my child, uh, you know, my children, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for their future. And then the rabbi, he's, you know, he's now very old and, and he meets the grandson and the same thing, right? And the same thing, generation after generation. And so he says, where's that ultimate child? Who's that person? Who's that child that everybody's preparing for every generation? What's the message of the story? The message is that there's so there's only so much building and preparing that we can do or should do. At a certain point, we have to stop. And it's time to stop creating, time to stop gathering, time to stop collecting. And it's time to start living. It's time to just start being. And, uh, and, and that's the idea of God resting from creation. God didn't need a rest. It wasn't like he needed a breather. But he said, it's enough. The, the, it, God wanted to show us, I'm going to create the world, but then I'm going to stop and I'm going to experience the world that I created. And, uh, and the same thing with us for Shabbos. So we're to, we're, we were to build the Mishkan, but then we were told, but you, there's a time where you stop building the Mishkan and you experience the Mishkan. You experience God's presence. And the whole week long, we're building, we're gathering. You know, certainly we try to make time for, for connecting to God and Torah study, prayer, all those things. But we don't have a day that's devoted for that where you say stop and just to live, stop gathering. There's so much building we need to do. We need to, 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 to live. And, it's, and we could do it for the sake of having. We could be doing it for, for, for good reasons. But at once a week, we need to stop and just experience it, just to live, just to live that Mishkan, live that tabernacle that we built. We're supposed to build, um, you know, we're not building an actual physical tabernacle, but we're trying to build homes and, and communities of, of, uh, of where, where, where God's presence is felt, where we bring God into them. But if we spend all our time building when are we going to experience it? And so much of the Shabbos experience is really bringing God into the home, bringing God into our lives. And, uh, and I think that's the resting. That for six days we're to build, on the seventh day we're to stop and experience that, what, that which we have built. We built this dwelling place. That's what the Mishkan is. The Mishkan is the dwelling place for God. In our lives, we're trying to create a dwelling place for God. We're trying to bring God into our lives. The seventh day Shabbos is the day that we stop and we experience that. So my hope is to build on that that concept in the coming classes. Well, wishing everybody a good shot. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi.